We're going to come now to read from God's Word, and as I mentioned, we're going to read Malachi chapter 1 this morning. Picking up in verse 1, we read, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you would not kindle on my altar, fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the raising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to him for it this morning. There are a great many words that we could use to describe 2020. Some of them are even appropriate to be repeated in public. There have been frustrations, anxiety, concern. There have been loneliness, sadness, loss. There has been perhaps a sense of hopefulness as we look to the future and expect our circumstances to change and lockdown to end and the vaccination program to, to take effect and society to open up again. There are all sorts of words that we could use to describe this year gone by. And as we look to the future, there are all sorts of words we could use to describe what we hope 2021 will bring. Freedom, uh, satisfaction, community, family, love, care, uh, openness, joyfulness. 
As we think about the church, though, and as we think about our lives together, what words do we uh, hope to use of church life, of our Christian lives, into 2021? Well, as we read Malachi chapter 1, and as we read these challenging words by God to his people right at the close of the Old Testament, there is one word that I think ought to describe our lives, our Christian lives of worship and of service to God and to uh, our community. And that one word, more than anything else, is radical. Now, that might not be the word that came to your mind when uh, I started talking about this. And yet, I want you to bear with me as we work our way through Malachi chapter 1. Because you see, in Malachi 1, we find God speaking to his people. And God revealing to his people one key truth. That God's love for them is a truly radical love that should define who they are, regardless of the circumstances they face. And as we're going to go and see, their circumstances are not all that alien to our circumstances to today. So as we come to uh, Malachi chapter 1, we find that God's love is explained to them in ways that they can't help but see is a truly radical, life-defining love. Malachi uh, starts positively. Now, we know he's not going to stay positive for the whole chapter, and yet he starts well. In the first five verses, the Lord tells his people through this prophet... Uh, that he loves them. In the opening verses, in the opening five verses, it's a little bit strange. It's almost like God is trying to convince them that he loves them, like they don't really believe it. He he says to them, uh, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? They're looking around and they can't see any evidence that God truly does love them. You see, the Edomites a long-term thorn in the flesh for Israel, have moved into their area, have crossed over a traditional uh, border to their country and are settling in southern Israel. And God doesn't appear to be doing anything about this. He doesn't appear to be stopping them. Uh, Moreover, they have been... um, Waiting, God's people have been waiting for the Messiah to come for so long to be their great saviour and leader and king, and he hasn't come. And so they're looking around and they don't see any real evidence that God is, is there at all, that God is concerned for them in any meaningful way. They are sick and tired of second best as they see it. And it's beginning to show. They're beginning to abandon and reject God to, to, to show that they don't really care for him because they don't think he cares for them. And God tells them, I do love you. I've shown you time and again that I love you. You're Jacob's descendants and the Edomites are his brother Esau's descendants and yet I have loved you and rejected them for centuries. Have I not? Have I not built you up and have they not constantly struggled? And if they appear to be um, winning over you, if they appear to be beating you and taking what is yours, do you not have confidence in light of everything I have done in the past that I will pull them down and build you up? 
Yes, they can build their cities and they can say they have great aspirations for the future to go on building their tiny little kingdom, but I will bring them down again. You have known me as a God who is mighty beyond the borders of Israel, have you not? I led Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans all the way into the promised land. I led your people down into Egypt and then back out of Egypt. I led you off into exile in Babylon and led you all the way back again. Have I not demonstrated my love for you, my consistent uh, power over all people, regardless of where they are and how mighty their empires may happen to be. I have proven myself as a God above all other gods, and more than that, as your God, again and again and again. He's spoken to them previously through the prophet Hosea of uh, just this experience where Israel wanders off as a, an unfaithful wife to her husband and God, the, the jilted husband, constantly pursues her and draws her back, constantly has to buy her out of the difficulty she gets herself in and restore her time and time and time again. And there's a word for that sort of love that, that God has for his people. It's grace. God has lavished His grace upon Israel again and again and again. He has helped them rebuild when they have been carried off because they have failed Him. He's given them His love, His leadership, His guidance when they have sought anyone else to take His place again and again and again. And here God is telling them, I still love you. I am still leading you. I am still guiding you, even after all you have done to reject me. And even though there are problems, I still love you. This is a radical love that has been lavished upon Israel, who doesn't deserve it. God has told them, you are the the least nation in all the world. You are tiny and insignificant. I didn't love you. It set my love upon you, my steadfast love, because you were great or mighty or powerful or ingenious or, or, or anything else, simply because I loved you. They should have been rejected and left for dead in exile, and yet God has poured out his unmerited favor upon them time and again. And here he makes it clear that he is the Lord of hosts. This term is used by Malachi more than almost any other writer in Scripture. And he is reminding them in that that he is the commander of heaven's armies. This is a a statement of the power of God. He can do anything he chooses. He has armies beyond number that makes the Edomites look like a petty little rabble by comparison. Now history tells us that the Edomites uh, were destroyed uh, and ultimately we find that Israel endure. That God is greater and more powerful than they were. And God is saying to Israel, my love for you will be vindicated. You might question it, you might even deny it, but it has always been extended towards you and your very existence is evidence of this lavish, radical love that no other nation in the world at that time enjoys. I've sustained you, I've fed you. I've built you up. I've freed you from slavery, literal slavery. I've freed you from sin. And there will be a day that comes when you will see that worked out perfectly. 
So stay faithful to me because my love for you never, ever ends. And the love that God has for us is precisely this radical, gracious, entirely undeserved love. It is a love that is embodied in the person of Jesus who comes and takes our place, dies our death for our sins that we might be set free, totally unmerited. And yet he willingly comes and does this. And so we find that this love draws us back again and again and again from failure, from frustration, from loss, from that sense that we are alone in this world. It guards us against our enemies who seek to lead us astray, to tempt us to abandon our faith. It fills us and it nourishes us so that we have everything we need, even when all the physical things of this world might be stripped away from us. And for all that we might question God's love from time to time, 2020 has been a perfect uh, example of a situation where we might question God's love. How can this happen? How can God let this happen to us, his people, to the world? Where is God in the midst of all that's going on and so on? For all that we might question God's love, it will be vindicated in the end because it always has been. And it will be shown to have always been there, always sustaining, always consistent with what he said in his word, even though we couldn't feel it or maybe appreciate it at the time. If God was pleased to send his son to die on your behalf when you were a dead sinner, dead in your trespasses and sins, when you wanted nothing to do with God, what greater evidence do you need that God loves you? Our experience of this radical love should change us completely. This is what God says to Israel. This should define who you are. Just the mere experience of this love, even though you'll never understand it fully, should change you from the ground up and from the inside out. This love tells you about God's nature, his character, and what he thinks about us. It should reassure us as we face the uncertainties of another new year as a church and as individuals, and it should motivate us as a church, because it will never run out. It will never stop sustaining us. It will never stop leading and guiding us. God is sovereign, and while our plans might not work out the way that we thought they would, His plans always will. Although we might falter and fail, we might let God down, we might abandon one another, He never will. Though we might get frustrated when other people uh, abandon us and let us down, God never will. We cannot doubt the love of God. Because he is sovereign over everything and he has told us that he freely lavishes this love upon us, not because of anything we've done, but simply because he chooses to. And his son being sent to the cross in our place is the evidence of this. So what do we have to fear as individuals or as a church together in light of that? We can see that God's radical love, this free, life-defining love begins to change us as we dwell upon it, as we reflect upon it going into this year. It's not just God's love that's radical, though. 
God's mission in light of this love is also radical. God wants his people to do something in response to this love that he um, extends towards them. And although they've questioned God's love, he now turns the tables and questions their love for him. They've moved away from open idolatry where they freely worshipped other gods and, and sort of carved and cast images of other gods as they did in the past. They've moved away from that now, but they've moved into something altogether a little bit more difficult to deal with. Because when they worshipped idols, it was easy to point out where they were going wrong. They should worship their God, the God who's led them out of Egypt, the God who saved them and, and established them in their land. Now what they're doing is they are slipping into sort of half-hearted, lukewarm worship of God where they don't really care about him at all, but they still carry on all the outward symbols of worship towards him. We can understand and see this perhaps in our own lives as we think about our own worship, that often we turn up to worship. Perhaps even this morning you have listened to what's been said, you have sung the words of songs, but your heart hasn't been in it, your mind's been elsewhere. You've done carried out the the form of worship, but you haven't truly worshipped God. And this is what Israel are doing. They've become more concerned about the events of their time than the worship of God. They're more worried about the Edomites coming over the border, over the nearest hill, and laying waste to more of their land and taking them captive than they are of the true and right worship of God, because that's a more, more urgent concern. And God says, you're half-hearted. You accuse me of not really loving you, and yet I've consistently loved you. You are the ones who don't love me. You've been offering me poor quality sacrifices, he says. They've been presenting um, sacrifices to God that are blemished, that are the sort of poor quality dregs of the flock, as it were, as they've looked around for something to worship God. They've been told all the way through the Old Testament, this is what I expect of you in worship. I expect sacrifices of this kind and of that kind. And when you sacrifice to me, you give me the very best that you have because I am worth that. That speaks of your love for me as I give my very best for you, God says. And yet what's been happening now as they've been more consumed with what's going on politically in the land, they've just been looking around for the weakest and the feeblest lambs and goats and bulls and so on. And just whatever we've got lying around that won't cost us much, just sacrifice that. Keep the very best for us because that's the stuff that will earn us the most at market or will give us the best food to eat or whatever it might be and just sacrifice the dregs to God. And God says this speaks of the lack of love you have for me. It reveals the state of your heart. You're performing outwardly everything I've asked you to do, but your heart's not in it. Your hearts are empty and cold. You're more consumed with what's going on around you than with what is going on in my relationship with you. And he says in verse 9 that if you pay me lip service, you don't love me. You're not being faithful to me. You're breaking your covenant with me, even while you think you're observing all the covenant requires of you. And so you have no right to expect anything of me, if that is how you're going to live. They're sort of trying to be theologically faithful, but it's actually not enough, God says, to be coldly theologically faithful, literally work out the letter of the law. God says your heart must be in it. It must be 
worship from true loving hearts if it's going to be any kind of worship at all. This is really important. God tells them in verse 11 that from the rising of the sun to the setting of that sun, His name will be great, not just in their midst, but in the nations, among the nations. God isn't content with simply being the God of Israel. He wants the whole world. But because they've become so lackluster in their worship, they don't see their mission as being a light to the nations. They see their objective as simply doing what God has said and not a, a, a jot more than that. Just work it out and God will bless us. God will give us all the stuff that we want that we need. And that's all that we want. And God says, your vision is so small. If you understood the extent of my love for you, the radical love I had for you, you would understand that it extends way beyond you. You are to be the beginning, a light to the whole world. Didn't I say that to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob? That, that you will be for the blessing of many nations. And yet, you can't even see beyond your own border. Because you don't understand the scope of my love towards you, the radical nature of my love, you don't see the radical nature of my mission to be the God of this whole world. Because your love for me is not radical in any way, he says to them, it's small and it's tame. It's never going to be enough to reach out into this world and be a light to the Gentiles, the bearers of good news to the pagan nations. So God says to them in verse 10, I just wish someone would shut the temple doors, put the fire on the altar out, and just stop bothering with this lip service. You're too focused on other things to really care about my love for you and your worship of me. And how much of this do we see in our own lives where God's love for us it is worked out in Jesus being sent for us so that we can be forgiven and then go with joy and tell others about this radical love that God has for them as well as for us. And yet, we're so consumed with what's going on with coronavirus, with Brexit, with family circumstances that, that God's love is no longer radical. It's just a feature of our lives that we've come to rely upon but not really be overly concerned with. And so we go from day to day doing the things that God asks us to do in his word but not really thinking about it. And then when difficult circumstances come and we feel we need God, we turn around and expect him to be there and we discover that we've grown distant and cold and so we can't see him, can't feel him, don't know him and we wonder how God could have possibly abandoned us when we need him most. And yet it's exactly the opposite way around. God has never left us or abandoned us. He has always been there, but we've become cold to him. When it comes to our mission to God in the wider world, we've... We've grown cold. We've got nothing to tell the world. How amazing is this God? He sends His own Son to be our Savior. And yet, it's not all that significant to us anymore. The radical nature of God's love has ebbed away. And so we just don't have much to say. We don't have much motivation to say it. Because it's not really all that significant. It's just a feature of who we are. It's what our world has been telling us for years and in some cases has convinced us is true that you can be a private Christian. You just be a Christian in your own home. Don't tell other people about it. 
Don't seek to convert other people to your faith. That's a horrible thing to do and it doesn't honor them and their choices in life and so on. And we've bought into that. We've become convinced that we can just be a God, uh, worshippers of God in, in, in private. But God says, that's not how this works. I pour my love out into your lives and you didn't deserve any of this. And it should define you. It should change you. If you have received my radical love, it should make you aware of my radical mission. I'm not satisfied just with the people of Ladywell Baptist Church in Livingston. I want so much more than that. And you are a part of that mission if you are my people, if you've experienced my radical love. And I want you to be defined by it and go into Ladywell and Livingston and West Lothian and tell everyone about it. Because I want people from all over this place to be my people. Are we convinced that God's love is radical? That it is life transforming? That it's like nothing else in this world? Because if we are, then we'll recognize that God's desire is to go on loving more and more and more people as He draws them into their kingdom and we play our part in that. This is not about me challenging you to give more money and more time, more effort to the work of the church. Although I do want to challenge you and encourage you to go on giving to the work of the church and to go on giving your time and your service to Lady Well Baptist Church. I think that speaks of the relationship we have with God and the love we have for Him. But it's more than that. You can do all of those things and still be like Israel, offering sacrifices that are fine, but don't speak of the love you've experienced from God. What I want to say to you is, I want to, to, you to ask, am I giving of what I have in light of the love I have experienced from God and in light of its significance to me? In light of just how much it means to me? I'm not saying you need to give more. Maybe you need to give less. Maybe you need to give in another way. I, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But what I do know is that our worship, our giving in terms of what we do on Sunday mornings, our singing praises, our coming together in prayer, our taking communion together, all of that, our giving in terms of the financial gifts that we give to the work of this church and mission in the wider world, our service in serving one another and sacrificing for each other and building one another up and teaching each other and rebuking one another and doing everything necessary to cause Ladywell Baptist Church to deepen in its faith. Our service to the community and sharing the gospel shamelessly, boldly, proudly proclaiming the good news that Jesus has come to be a saviour for sinners and you are just such a person that Jesus has come to save. All of that is to come from our experience of this radical love. It is to be given joyfully, enthusiastically, passionately, so that whatever 2021 holds, however difficult or easy it may be, whatever circumstances we face, we are a radical people defined by a radically loving God. The radical love of God drives us to be involved in the radical mission of God, to see this whole world brought under His care, under His love and His guidance. We can't afford to be half-hearted Christians doing 
sort of an okay job because we are more focused on on the difficulties of the circumstances we face rather than focused on the amazing God who loves us, who is able to lead us through circumstances regardless of how overwhelmingly difficult they may be. If you look at the lives of men and women like Richard and Sabina Vermbrand or uh, the many people who have spoken about um, seeking to plant and grow churches in places like China or sub-Saharan Africa, you find that these people have faced overwhelming opposition and yet the church in those lands has grown and flourished and thrived despite the opposition. Nothing has been so difficult that it stopped the spread of the gospel anywhere in the world. And that is exactly how we are to be, like these men and women who are just normal people, transformed by an extraordinary God. We are sent out into this radical mission to see Lady Well transformed by the gospel and recognize that that radical love of God is sufficient to the task, not just to see sinners saved and transformed, but to sustain us so that we are able to go and see that work done. The great news for us today is that God's radical love does equip us fully to the task to be about his radical mission in the world. As the passage comes to a close, we find it's not just that God's love is radical and his mission is radical. It's that God's people are radical. As we get to the end of the passage, the worst thing about Israel's actions is that they have animals that are worthy of sacrifice to God, but they haven't been offering them. God has been giving them spotless males in their flocks that they ought to be sacrificing, that they have vowed to give to the Lord, but when push comes to shove, they just give him the dregs of whatever's left, the stunted, the lame, the blind, the worthless, that aren't, you know, they're going to be slaughtered anyway, so we may as well use them and keep the best so that our flocks grow stronger and our herds grow stronger. God has given them what they need to be faithful and love him as he loves them, but it means nothing to them. As we look back, it's not right that we, that we judge and condemn these people. Are they doing anything different to what we do today? It's a right concern for us to have. Are we using all that God has given us for his glory, for the thing that he's given it to us for? to be employed in his service, his worship, witness to him and to his kingdom. We have been equipped by God to serve him and to love him. And the value that, of the things that he has given us it only fits with the purpose, that, that money, that talent, that ability, that time has, has been given for. We've been equipped by God to love him and serve him. But the question is, do we value him enough to use the things he has given us for that end? To that end. We've been given all things for God's glory. And it's not right that we judge Israel because they haven't done what was expected of them. It's right that we learn a lesson from them. Think what it would have cost Israel at a time when they're being slowly invaded and pushed out of their land by the Edomites. They're expected to give of their very best for the worship of a God that they can't see is loving them. And the same is true of us today. 
We look at our lives, we see coronavirus, we see Brexit, we see all the struggles and strains that are going on in our family lives, and God says, I want you to give of your very best for my worship. That is going to be tremendously costly in terms of our money that we are expected to give sacrificially to God's service. It's going to be tremendously costly in terms of our time that we're expected to give to God for not just worship on a Sunday, but also for building ourselves up as disciples and for building others up as disciples and spreading the gospel. All of that takes time and effort. It takes us laying aside um, all of the, the, the... The things in us that say, don't go, don't do that, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, you're going to be embarrassed, you're not going to have the right words, the right things to say, you're going to get it wrong. We need to lay all of that aside. It's going to cost us. And yet, God says he expects us to pay that cost. To to worship him in spirit and in truth. To sacrifice in his service. Because we are a radical people who recognize that the love that God pours into our lives is enough to balance anything that we can give to him in his service. Does Jesus not say that to his own disciples? If any of you have had to leave behind homes and property and businesses and parents and, uh, and children and so on, if you've had to, to sacrifice for my sake, will you not be rewarded in the kingdom that is to come? Of course you will be. You'll receive a hundredfold what you've sacrificed in this life, in this mission. And he's not saying that should be their motivation for laying things aside. If you lay aside a little, I will give you a lot. He's saying that whatever price you pay, whatever sacrifice you make for the glory of God, it will be worth it. And as we look to 2021, do we have that mindset? That whatever we sacrifice for the sake of God's glory and not for ours, it will be worth it. That we can face and overcome any difficulties in this year, whatever 2021 will bring, in light of the radical love that God has poured into our lives for the purpose of the radical mission of God we are to engage in in 2021. And so, we are to be a radical people. As we come to 2021, it is essential that we do not forget God's love shown towards us. God's sustaining power that has led us through this past year, through every year of our lives, has equipped us, has sustained us, has blessed us beyond measure so that we might be able, that we might be ready to face 2021 in the strength that God supplies that we can leave behind the tendency to do what we feel is necessary in the worship and the service of God so that we are then able to get on with the more pressing matters of facing the difficulties of the day. Let's leave behind okay, good enough, that'll do. Let's be a radical church as we face 2021, for we are a people who have a radical God. I want to encourage you as you face this year, as we hear these challenging words from Malachi, that in light of all that God has done for you, you can be this people that God desires you to be. All it requires of us is that we consider together God's love shown to us in his Son, that we rely upon that love and that we go and live out our lives in light 
of it. And whatever we face, we know that God's glory will be manifest through all our efforts. And in the end, whatever 2021 brings, we will have succeeded in our mission as his people. Amen.